All right, we're going to get into God's Word together. Go to Acts 2, verse 42. Acts 2, verse 42. We are in the middle here of a three-part kind of series within a series. So the sermon series is called um, Let's Go Change the World, but we've been, we've been in a topic called Built to Last for the last couple of weeks because we learn about how the early church was built. What was the early church made of that helped them to get so well-founded that they turned the world upside down and eventually conquered the mighty Roman Empire. So we've already covered some of the elements, the building materials like preaching God's word and prayer and like fellowship and generosity. Now today, the last two we're going to cover are evangelism and worship. And when it comes to worship, God created you and he created me to worship him. Do you know creation declares the glory of God? Do you know just getting out in nature alerts you that there is a God and that he's awesome and that we are here to sing praise to him? So Lauren and I went to Starved Rock yesterday for my birthday and we hiked a lot of the trails, saw the canyon. So here's some pictures from our hike yesterday. And as we were walking around, we saw beautiful trees. The colors are changing because of fall. By the way, remember last week when I told you I took my winter clothes out of the crawl space? I told you what was going to happen, didn't I? You were going to have an 80-degree day because of it. You're welcome. We have an 80-degree day yesterday and today. All right, so here's the next picture. We saw these really breathtaking canyons carved by the hand of God, and here's the next one. Just walking around, seeing there's Lauren looking up in this vast canyon. Um, and I think there's one more too. When you see beauty in nature, that's one of the things that alerts us to the reality that there is a God. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's intelligent. And he deserves our worship. As a church, we need to learn how to shout his praise. And then once we realize how awesome God is and we are able to sing to him freely, we want other people to know that's evangelism, sharing the good news with other people. So today, let's learn about how, build, how building worship and evangelism into our church can help us to be built to last. But let's pray before we get into God's Word together. Father, we give you glory because you are worthy of all praise forever and ever. So help us as a church to be built strong. Help us to know what it means to be a community of worship and a community of evangelism. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, we are in Acts 2, 42, here's what it says. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the early church in Jerusalem. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, awe, fear. There's, there's a worship there. There's a wonderful thing happening. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. So there, there's fellowship, there's generosity, which we covered last week. Day by day, attending the temple, there's gathered worship together. And breaking bread in their homes, there's informally gathering and worshiping. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved there's evangelism. So the first thing you can write down, it's number five, because this is a three-week part, three part series. Let's exalt the name of Jesus in worship. If you want to know what parts one through four were, you got to listen to the sermons over the last two weeks, but we covered preaching, prayer, fellowship, and generosity. Let's exalt the name of Jesus in worship. It says flat out in verse 47, praising God. They were praising God. And it says in verse 46, they were doing it at the temple. There's the large gatherings and in their homes. There's the smaller gatherings. They were filled with what? Glad hearts. They were filled with glad 
hearts. Awe was in their soul. Verse 43, verse 46, glad hearts, that is worship. When it comes to praise, the word is used several times in the New Testament. Angels praise God in heaven, according to Luke 2, and they praised him on earth. And in Revelation 19, a call comes from the very throne of God in heaven that says, praise God. So you and I, we are invited to become worshipers of God. We're commanded and invited to worship. Now, being a worshiper begins when you understand who Jesus is and what he's done. We exalt the name of Jesus in worship. When it comes to who Jesus is, if someone were to say to you, why do you worship Christ? Would you know where to go in the Bible to show them why we worship Christ? I mean, sure, Jesus was a good historical figure. He was one of the greats, like Gandhi. But why do we actually worship him? Would you know where to go? Jehovah's Witnesses, do they come to your door? They come to my door, you know. They don't believe Jesus is God. They're Jehovah's Witnesses, God the Father. They think Jehovah is the only one worthy of worship. They won't tell you right away that they believe Jesus is just the archangel Michael, but that is what they believe. If you ask them, they'll tell you. But they think Jesus is just an angel. Therefore, they would say we should not worship him. We should only worship God. Well, what would you say to that? One time, four Jehovah's Witnesses were in a Starbucks, and they tried to share their truth with me, and I sat down with them. We had a little rumble in the Starbucks. It was a lot of fun. That was really nice. But even in their own Bible, I'll show you where you can go. It's in Revelation chapter 5. If you ever want to show people why we worship Christ, you take them to Revelation 5, verse 11. And this is in their Bible too. The scene in Revelation 5 is in the very holiest heaven, the, the throne room of heaven. And here's what it says. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. Can you imagine it? Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. Okay, who's the Lamb? We know that, right? Because John wrote John. And in John, John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's Jesus. And John wrote Revelation. Same author. The Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So Jesus is being given everything that can be given. By who? And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, that's Jesus, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped worshipped, worshipped. Why do we worship Christ? Because right now, in the very heavenly throne room of God, every creature that can possibly worship is ascribing every possible form of praise to Jesus and the Father, and it will be happening forever. Forever. And I'll read this to a Jehovah's Witness from their own Bible, and I'll say, why are you the only one in your book not worshiping Christ? They don't have an answer. Do you worship him? Do you worship him? This is in heaven he's being worshipped. John, the apostle, a couple times in the book of Revelation, messed up. And he was so overwhelmed, he fell down in front of an angel like this to worship. And the angel was like, get up. I'm going to get in trouble. Get, no, 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 get up. I'm just a servant like you. Twice this happened. 
It's very clear who shouldn't be worshipped in Revelation, and Jesus is being worshipped by everyone. Forever. So I ask you, do you worship Christ? Do you realize who He is, that He's God the Son? Do you realize what He's done? He's the Lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world. Do you not just like, not just like Him, do you worship Him? Like heaven worships him, like angels worship him. Do you worship him? That's where worship starts. Let's exalt the name of Jesus in worship. It starts there. And then jot this down. Let's worship with all our hearts. Let's worship with all our hearts. We worship with our hearts. What does that mean? That means relationally, you could be going through the motions. But Jesus told the Pharisees, their hearts are far from me. So your heart can be far from God. You're going through the motions, but your heart's not in it. And in the book of James, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, James 4.8. What does that mean? Does that mean that if I go like this, I'm closer to God? And if I go like this, I'm farther from God? No, it's not physical. Theologically, what this talks about is being filled with the Spirit. So when you are surrendered when you are mindful of God, when you are attentive to Him, when you are filled with the joy that He's given you, then you are close to Him. When you're cold and walled off and disobedient and ignorant and fearful and doubtful, you're far from Him. Worship is a time to draw near with all of our hearts. How are you doing at worshiping with all your heart? Here are some describing words that could describe your worship on a Sunday morning. When you come Maybe pick a few of these that describe your worship. It's kind of like a self-assessment of how your worship is. Is your worship fervent or dull? Silent? Do you just not sing? Sincere? Routine? Simple? Stiff? Is your praise ceaseless, grateful, formal, heartfelt, downcast, or sleepy? Are you distracted, insecure, zealous? Focused, emotional, bold, humble, expressive, biblical, selfish, shallow, or loving. We're a lot of these things, right? You're kind of like, it depends on the week. The problem is we bring all of that, and then when we come and it's time to worship, we got to just be like, all right, right? Today they say, check yourself, right? You just got to like figure out what's going on inside and get ready to praise with all of our hearts. What hinders your worship? Learning how to worship takes time. I remember when I got saved, I was a freshman in college, I was a beginner. I was raised Catholic, and so if, like me, if you're raised Catholic, when you go to church, everything is scripted for you. You stand, you sit, you kneel, you say, if you fall behind, you can get hurt. Okay, one time the kneeler came down on my foot. I was a little slow, and the nice old lady next to me knelt down and cracked my toe. Crunch, and I was like, ah! I couldn't move because she was on track praying, and I couldn't tell her to get up. So I was stuck under the kneeler. She got done, lifted the kneeler up. My shoe had a divot in it. You could get hurt if you don't follow what's happening. It's totally scripted. For me, it was all external. It meant nothing to me for me. It was just what I had to do. Then I got saved as a freshman in college, show up at a, it was like kind of an EV free church, you know, uh, kind of a bit more of like a Baptist type church. And they're singing, they're clapping. Oh, so I learned how to sing. I learned how to clap. There was none of this. I was like, you know, there was no like hand. It was all kind of from the shoulders 
you know, down. You just kind of didn't move very much. They were happy, and so I was pretty happy. And then I went to Moody Bible Institute. So I'm at Bible college getting my master's, and then they had chapel. And in the chapel with all the grad students, there was somebody who worshiped like this. And I was like, what's he doing? And then there was another person who worshiped like this. And then there was another guy who did this and he swayed. And I was like, well, these no one's stopping them. <laughs> so, you know, I just kind of watched this happen. And then one day I was like, I'm going to try it. Hmm. And it was kind of cool. And I didn't want to be like them, but I just kind of wanted to learn to like express myself a little more in worship. So I kind of found how to express myself in worship and I felt more free to sing with all of my heart. Um, maybe you feel like me and you were kind of a bit of a beginner and you're not really sure how to worship. Well, it's just important to become natural and it's important to just make it genuine. It flows from a true heart where you believe Jesus is king and you want to show him your love um, and, and then you learn how to express that to him. You sing and you just naturally show him how much you love him. Um, our church, when we first planted, we hadn't had church before. So early on, I kind of stood in the back to watch, back in like 2009, like, we just launched as a church. How are we worshiping? And there was one Sunday morning where it was real sleepy, and nobody was really singing except the team on the stage. And, and you know, one guy was just standing there like this, and I was like, maybe I should say something. And the guy who was standing there like this went like this. He went... <gasps> And then he went like this. And he literally started sway yawning. And then he went like this. And I was like, Lord, don't zap him. I'll get up there and say something. And I, I got up and I, I said after the next song, I said, hey, everybody, really feels like we're having a tough time as a church entering into worship today. I'd like us to start over let me read from Hebrews 12 where it says, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And we did it over. And it was awesome. Those moments build, and we learn how to become a community of worship. Our worship today as a congregation is commendable. Whenever we bring in a guest worship leader, you know, we're looking for a worship pastor, but like Todd Rooks, who runs a search firm, he is a worship leader. He's a singer-songwriter. He leads worship at the highest level, big churches. And he came out, led worship at our church. I talked to him the week after. He goes, your people can sing. He said, they sing. He was commending us because we lift our voices up. It's really a strength in our church. I would love it to be a strength of yours. I don't know where you're starting. Maybe you just don't sing. Maybe you just don't move very much. I don't care if you're, you know, in your 90s or midlife. Maybe you're a young adult. Your mind's racing with stuff. Maybe you're a teenager. God wants you to worship him. Jesus said the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship in what? In spirit and in truth. He's looking for you to worship. Let's worship him with all of our hearts. Jot this down. Let's also worship in line with God's word. Let's worship in line with God's word. So in Colossians 3.16, it shares how the word and the worship is married. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now there's the truth. 
singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now that's the Spirit. Maybe you grew up in more of a truth church, and the worship was kind of a truth encounter. Like it was, you're basically saying theology back to God. Maybe you were joyful, but you, it was really kind of rigid, like there was not a ton of emotion or expression. Maybe you grew up in more of a spirit church. It was very free. You, you had a lot of freedom to express yourself, move around, to share your emotions, maybe in sponta- spontaneously to get involved. The Bible wants us to not go to either extreme too far. You, your worship could be turned into rules, you know, rules, rules, or it could turn into really an unhinged, chaotic experience of emotion. But the Father is looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth. So some boundaries that we would put up and some ways that we would express a biblical form of worship here, according to God's word, would be there are three essentials found in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Worship has to be conscious, so you can't be unconscious in any form. God doesn't accept unconscious worship of people who are out of their minds. You also have to be coherent in your speech. The speech has to be understood by those who are involved in the worship service or you're to keep it between yourself and God. And also controlled. God is a God of order. So you have to be controlled in your expression. And so controlled, coherent, conscious. Those are kind of the three essentials found in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. A lot of stuff was going on at Corinth. Corinth was like Vegas. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, Paul had to get them back on track to worship God in a fitting manner. One of the ways we arrange our worship services to kind of line up with God's word is if you look in the Old Testament, there were songs of ascent. They would sing these songs on the way to the temple. Then there were gathering songs of testimony, and then there were pure ascription songs of praise to God. Kind of like you're on your way to the city, then you get there, and you're kind of in the outer courts, and then you're near, and and like God's holy presence in the temple is being revered. And we would mirror that. When we pick songs, we kind of assign a number to them here. And a song that's kind of a one or a two, based on the words in the song, are kind of gathering songs, like let's together sing, come, it's a call to worship. And then we would use like a three in the middle, which is kind of like in a testimonial song, come and hear what he's done for me. And then we would get to the point where a four or a five is really a song of pure ascription. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We put the songs in that order because that's what we want our hearts to do. Come on together, let's go. Wow, this is personal to me. But by the end, we're not even thinking about ourselves. We're just really all eyes on God, praising him. That's how our worship services, and there's a million ways you can do it, but that's how our worship services are kind of engineered to really worship according to God's word. So let's exalt the name of Jesus in worship. Let's worship with all of our hearts in line with God's word, and then jot this down. Let's pray, give, serve, and learn joyfully. Pray, give, serve, and learn joyfully. These are the fundamentals found in scripture. We've covered some of them already. Prayer was week one, and after service, we have leaders down front to pray This is your chance to participate in prayer as part of your worship, to come forward and to say, I want God to carry these burdens, and I want my brothers and sisters to help me. So we pray, we give. I hope you see giving as a form of worship. Uh, Giving is a form of worship. It's not like dues. It's not like a membership fee. Uh, Why do Cain and Abel show up into God's presence in the dawn of time with fruit and, and meat? Does God need a snack? No, he doesn't have a produce drawer in the fridge that was running a little low. 
God doesn't need anything. Worship from the very beginning of humanity was a way where we can show God we, he, that we love him. We're, we're bringing him things. Kids do that all the time. They bring you things to show that they love you. We bring things as an act of worship, and we bring an offering. It says, come into his presence, bring an offering. We covered that last week, and we even gave you a tool. We said, hey, look, it's fourth quarter, and we put a tool in the bulletin called the fourth quarter giving game plan so that you can give uh, cheerfully, generously, and in accordance with your plan. And so this is your worship. This is a way to say, I'm coming, I'm bringing something to show God that I'm generous and I love him, and then serve, find a place, you know, hospitality team, worship tech, kids ministry, I'm here to serve God, and then learn joyfully. Pray, give, serve, learn joyfully with grateful hearts. This is what worship is kind of all about. Now, we can be spoiled because we have all these extras like lights and a projector and a stage and a building and air conditioning. We don't need those. Those aren't necessary for worship. Wherever the early church went, as long as they had Jesus and each other, they worshiped him. They worshiped him with whatever they had. We're looking for a worship pastor. That would be nice. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. And so it doesn't matter. You know, they didn't have Caleb back then. They didn't have Chris Tomlin back then. If they were together and they had Jesus, they were worshiping. And so your worship should be the same way. I was really blessed by our brothers and sisters in Ukraine after their country got turned upside down by a war and they were fleeing for their lives, and the missiles were coming, and the army was invading, and our hearts were broken for them. We've got Pastor Alex's family here. Praise God, we're taking care of them. But one of the videos on Facebook that emerged early on was a bunch of Christians who had just taken shelter in the basement or a bomb shelter of some city. And down they were. Can you imagine, uh, as a Christian community, just being in, in, you know, down there, and you don't know what your life's going to hold, and you don't know what's coming, the army, the explosion, and they, they put this video of them singing praise on Facebook. Check it out. Isn't that awesome? Would that be your heart? One line. The song has one line. My name is written in the book of life. My name is written in the book of life. My name is written in the book of life. Those kids will never forget that. When you ask them what worship is like, they'll remember. We praise Jesus anywhere because he's worthy. Hey, number five, let's exalt the name of Jesus in worship with all of our hearts in line with God's word. Let's give, serve, pray, learn joyfully. Number six, write this down. Let's share the good news of Jesus with boldness. It says, praising God, verse 47, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's share the good news of Jesus with boldness. Obviously, we're taking a more topical approach to these topics throughout these three-part series, and we're going all around Scripture to learn what it means. What does evangelism mean? It means sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. Look at what it says in verse 47. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being, what word does it say there? Saved. Saved. You need to know that it's the Lord who saves, but we are his messengers. So being saved tells you your greatest need as a human. You need to be saved by Jesus. So in January of this year, a pilot in L.A. took off in a single-engine airplane and immediately lost power. 
He tried to circle back toward the airport, but couldn't get all the way back, and he crashed on the street just before the runway. He survived a plane crash, but he was trapped in the wreckage of the plane on train tracks. The police arrived, radioed for all trains to stop, but it takes at least five minutes to get all the trains to stop. And then the crossing alarm sounded and the train arms came down. And check out what happened next. Officer Castro tried to break a mangled panel that was trapping the pilot inside the plane. As I'm trying to pull it off, it's not coming off, and I look back one more time and I see the train was approaching a lot faster than I thought it was. So at that point, I said, forget about the panel, uh, grabbed onto him and helped pull him out. Four seconds later. Then I just remember thinking, well, now is the plane going to hit me or is it going to catch on fire or blow up? Pieces of the plane rained down on bystanders, but no one else on the ground or the train was hurt. It's a story that has garnered international attention and praise for a group of officers who went beyond the call risking their own lives to save another. Many now calling them heroes. So check out this next picture. This right here is a man being saved, and this is what we do as a church. Okay, this is evangelism. We rescue people from destruction, not physical bodily destruction, spiritual eternal conscious torment in hell is coming. And I don't know what you've been taught about what it means to be a human, but I need you to understand that that is you. You are in a crashed plane, stranded on a train tracks, and eternity is racing upon you. You, you need to be saved. You're not a good person. You're not a religious person. You are a trapped person who needs to be pulled out of the wreckage of your life by Jesus Christ forever. If you deceive yourself, the, the horn is going off, the arms are coming down, and eternity is rushing upon you. I'm telling you, this is evangelism, it's happening right now, you need to be saved. You need to be saved more than that guy, because his body was pulled out, that did nothing to save his soul. Your soul is in eternal jeopardy because of your sins. This isn't the way they talk today, is it? but I need you to know your peril. Only Jesus the Lord can save your soul forever. Do you see it? Do you see eternity coming? Do you see there's only two places you can end up? And have you asked Jesus to save you, to rip you out of the rubble and drag you to safety? You don't do it. He does it. Are you saved? This is evangelism, my friends. Share the good news of Jesus with boldness. Jot this down. Let's build a culture of invitation. It's really frightening to invite people to church or talk to them. What do they say? Don't talk about politics or religion at the family party. You're going to ruin it. I would say that we have to find ways to reach out with the love of Christ and the truth of Christ. That's called a culture of invitation. Some people are awesome at inviting people to church. They bring new people all the time. Uh, sometimes people take the risk and they invite somebody and then they come and they come up to me and they're like, she came. And they're like really excited but they can't say anything about it, right? But are you inviting people to church? That's where it starts. Anybody can do it. This year we've kind of gone 
uh, crazy with these door hangers. The, the idea that came to us was find God again. That's kind of the slogan. A lot of people feel like they need to find God again. So, uh, I, you know, over 5,000 of these we printed up. We've got some of them in the lobby on a table if you want some, but I'll, I'll just go around our neighborhood and put these on the door, and if people are out, I'll talk to them. But this is a culture of invitation. This is, we're inviting you to come hear the good news. We're just inviting. Um, and it's, it's a rhythm that we have to cultivate as a church. Hey, come on in and hear about the gospel. You might be afraid of reaching out. Why are people afraid of sharing their faith? Well, they're busy. They don't have the time, right? They don't know what to say. They're afraid they're just going to say the wrong thing. We're not perfect, so we think if we start reaching out or telling our coworkers that we go to church, they'd be like, you go to church? Oh, you holy roller. And they'll start making fun of us and point out all of our faults. We're kind of afraid. You know, those are not good reasons to, to avoid inviting people to church. These are just the reasons that we kind of hold on to. They, they shouldn't stop you from inviting people to church because you want them to be saved. You want them to be saved. We practice something called red apple evangelism that will, oh, Pastor Bob gave me this. This will actually be really helpful. Uh, so what we're looking for uh, really is we're looking for a soul that God has ripened to the gospel. That's what we would call a red apple. Their mind is open to understand the truth. Their heart is open to not overreact or shut down. And their will is open to actually taking the step of accepting Jesus as Savior. If you have people in your life who are not ready, they're not a red apple yet. That's fine. Don't bruise the fruit. Pray that God ripens them. It's the Lord adding to their number. The Lord has to ripen them to the gospel. Ask God to open their minds so that they understand it. Ask God to open their hearts so they don't freak out or shut down. And ask God to guide their steps into his word. He will do that. that then when you get a red apple, go for it. Like, stop everything. If someone is being open to the gospel and they're ready to talk, usually red apples are going through trials. God drops a house on them and now they're ready to listen. They're a little feisty because they're hurt, so you got to get ready for that. They're confused. They're depressed. Red apple. You might want to write down the names of two or three red apples in your life. Who are people who God is ripening to the gospel, usually through a trial? Sometimes it's when a person has everything they ever thought they wanted and they're still miserable. Red apple. Despair. Find them. They're all around you. Those are the people you should invite to church. Let's build a culture of invitation. And then jot this down. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's speak the truth in love. So finding ways to share the gospel is really important. There are many ways to do it. Um, there are many forms of evangelism. So yeah, the guy in Chicago with the sandwich board that says the end is near and the bullhorn and he's shouting, that's one way to do it. That's probably not your way. So it's fine to find your way. Maybe you really love to serve people and to be helpful with charity and through your actions and your compassion, you want people to hear the truth. Great. Maybe, you know, for me, I love apologetics. I love to talk to people who have a different worldview, a different opinion of life, to listen patiently and to figure out how they see the world, and then to ask probing questions and get down to the bedrock of how they make decisions, and then to share the truth with them in a rational way. I love it. I live for that. I love to answer people's questions in an apologetic form. Whatever your version is, find your voice and learn to share the truth. Throughout the book of Acts, how do they share the gospel? Well, 
It started at Pentecost on the streets of Jerusalem, then before the ruling council when they got in trouble and thrown in jail. Then they went house to house. Then they were scattered to Samaria, which is the half-Jews, then to the surrounding cities and provinces. Then they crossed over into the Gentiles. Cornelius heard the gospel in his house. As they spread out to Greek and Roman cities, they met in synagogues first, but then they spread out beyond that. Lydia heard the gospel by a riverside. In Philippi, the, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, heard the gospel at midnight after an earthquake broke his jail. In Athens, Paul shared it in the marketplace, then he was invited into the Areopagus, which was like the Oxford of that time, the center of philosophy and learning, and he shared it with all the smarty pants from the Roman Empire. In Ephesus, they met in a lecture hall. In Israel, they were backdragged before the governors and the kings. Then Paul was shipped away for a trial in Rome, and then the ship sank. So he shared the gospel on the sinking ship. Then they were marooned on the island of Malta, and he shared the gospel there with all the uh, castaways and the leaders of that island. Eventually, he made his way all the way to Caesar's court, shared the gospel in court, and he was under house arrest. Anybody who came to town, he talked to them. Do you see what they did? Anywhere, anytime, anyway, they just found ways to share the gospel everywhere they went. The message never changed, but the method changed based on where they were. So there's a lot of ways to share the gospel. I've got a couple ways that you can learn to share the gospel. Maybe you're like, I don't know the words. Well, there's gospel tracts. They're called, this is one called The Story. You can get them at Story For Us, The Story. You know, you just, you're with somebody, you want to hand it out, and this goes through creation, the fall, the rescue, the restoration. Uh, you could just give it out, or you can just read it to somebody. How many of you in here were saved because somebody gave you a gospel tract? You were saved by somebody giving you a gospel tract. Anybody? There we go. There we go. That, that's how they got you. These things work. Uh, so gospel tracts, you can hand them out. You can leave them places. I've got a few others here. Um, so in the parade, the Palis Heights parade this year, um, my job was to walk with these. This is a, this is a million dollars, or so it seems. <laughs> it's actually a gospel of John, but it looks like a million bucks. So in the Palis parade, there are people who don't like parades, but they have to go to them, so they're sitting in their chairs like this. Mm. And my job in the parade was to find those people, and as everyone else was running up and getting candy, I'd find the people who were just sitting there. I'd be like, hey, it's your lucky day. Don't spend it all in one place. There's a million bucks. Hey, million bucks for you. There you go. Hey, you want some money? There you go. Now look, everybody took it because it looks like a million bucks. And then, and then once they got it, everyone around them came up to them and they're like, what is that? What is that? Kids especially. Can we go get candy? Can I buy an Xbox? That's a million dollars. Ah! It's an attention getter. Now they get it home and then God's got to take it from there. I mean, it's the gospel of John. It's a really cool thing. And God can use that. You could just hand it out. God can use that as a creative way to get the truth out there. Maybe you've seen the Evangicube before. The Evangicube is um, a way to share the gospel. It's pretty creative. Um, let me get it reset here. So here's how it works. You, you probably can't see it that well, but if you want to see it better, come up to me after church. So we are sinful and God is holy. And so therefore, God had to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. Now, once you start doing this, people are like, oh, what is it? And they want to see how it works. So God sent Jesus into the world to save us, and then he died on the cross, then he was put in the tomb. Here's the tomb with the Roman soldiers, and they sealed it up, and on the third day, he rose again. And kids love this. He rose again, and now he's in heaven, and guess what? If you want to get to heaven, you have to trust that Jesus died on the cross to save you, and then you can go to heaven. And if you trust him, you'll go to heaven, but if not, you'll go to hell. And so Jesus alone can save you. And then once you're saved, 
He wants you to read your Bible, pray, and love other people and tell the world because you have a heart that loves Jesus. This is called the Evangel Cube. Now, when kids see this, they can't look away. They're like, oh. And there's like little arrows on here that tell you how to do it. You can train a kid to do this in a minute. And guess what they want to do then? Come here, look at this. And they're like, this is you and this is God. And then they're like, they want to show everybody. It's really cool. You can train a kid to share the gospel in like a minute. This is one of those ways where you just have this on hand. You can share the truth in love. So hey, let's share the good news of Jesus with boldness. Let's build a culture of invitation. Let's speak the truth in love. And I really want you to be able to find your voice. Can you just share your story of how Jesus saved you in a minute? Or if you had five minutes in an Uber or in an elevator, could you really do it? This video by Alistair Begg I'm going to show in a second he imagines the thief on the cross. You know, the thief on the cross. He got saved while he was dying next to Jesus. He imagines the thief on the cross telling his story. So check it out. This is pretty cool. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense... I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were... You were you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we... Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. I love that. It's so simple. It's so simple. The man on the middle cross said, I could come. Your story might be simple. Your story might be complicated. Learn to share it. it. You don't have to show off. You don't have to try and convince people you're, you know, a holy saint. The man on the middle cross said you can come. You're telling people, you know, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Learn to share your story. And jot this down. Let's honor Jesus through baptism. Baptism is the first chance you have to tell the world you're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to baptism, it's clear. It says here that... Um, in verse 41, those who received his word in chapter 2 were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. Lives were being changed forever. So praising God and having favor with all the people, verse 47, the Lord was added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. When we see someone baptized, we see that they've been born again. We see that they are publicly sharing. Baptism is not a graduation party. You don't have to take a class or anything. Baptism is a birthday party because you've been born again. You have been brought from death to life. 
And so baptism is the way that we evangelize, and your story can be a blessing to other people. If you haven't been baptized, I'd really encourage you in early December, our next service, to take that step, get prepared, and to get baptized. Hey, I don't know about you, but I want to build a church that's going to last. Amen? That's going to be built on worship, lifting high the name of Jesus in worship, with all of our hearts, in line with God's word, pray, give, serve, learn, and that's going to be built on evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness, culture of invitation, speaking the truth in love, honoring Jesus through baptism. That's the kind of church that will stand the test of time. And we all are responsible to build the church on all of the six things we've learned over the last three weeks. We started with preaching God's word and prayer and then fellowship and then generosity and today evangelism uh, and worship. These are the things that we want to be made of because these are the things that glorify God. Well, hey, we can't do this without God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and consecrate ourselves as a congregation. Invite him to build us to last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the spirit being poured out for this group of believers. They had nothing. They had very little, and yet they turned the Roman Empire upside down. I pray that you would help us to be built out of the stuff that will last. Help us, O Lord, to proclaim your word and to pray fervently, to gather together with hearts for each other and to give generously, O Lord, trusting you to provide. Help us to sing with all of our heart and help us to share the truth boldly. Lord, every year, help us to get better at these things. And perhaps there are some here today who have never from the heart, Jesus, received you as Savior and Lord. They've never fully surrendered. I pray right now, in their own heart, where only you can see it, that they would talk to you. And I pray that they would say this. No, no magic words, but that they would just say this in their own soul. They would say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Go ahead, say that in your own soul. Say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Wash away all of my sins, Jesus. You are the Lamb of God. Say that. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Take away my sins right now, the worst of them, the darkest of them. May I be washed white as snow. And Jesus, prepare a place for me in your kingdom. Just as the thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh Lord, give us that promise and fill this church with the songs of souls set free. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.